hello, hello, my lovely parent friends. And apparently we are still friends because we're still here together. And you're on episode 19 of the Teen and Tween Parenting Podcast. I am your cruise director. Through this wavy, tempestuous, oh, I do like that word, and glorious because underwater and above water can be so beautiful and glistening journey that we call parenting. Now, I, I don't know who calls something parenting. I think I made it up uh, only because I've never heard it before, but maybe somebody else has thought of it before. And then I'm always wondering, like, how many of my thoughts are truly my own thoughts versus thoughts that have somehow come to me based on what people have told me, how my parents raised me, what my religion tells me, what being from where I'm from tells me, what being a doctor tells me, what being a mom tells me, whatever generation, generations in the past or even society. So I don't know completely what is truly my thought or not my thought. But I think parenting is mine. So if ever you have a thought that you have come up with something wonderful and fantastic and don't think you've heard it before, take credit. Because really, most of the thoughts have come in. But if you create a little thought baby with something that bounces off, that strikes you in some way that you think will be useful to other people, that is useful to yourself, then go with it. And I'm Dr. Nikki Naradin. I think I said that before. And I am here in Nome, Alaska, which is really great. I think most people know that I do four weeks in New York and four weeks in Nome. And we have just gone through the first since I've been here, real winter storm, like a complete whiteout. And I kind of enjoy telling people whatever the weather is here, because obviously people like to talk about the weather. Maybe it's as benign as you get if you just want to start conversation, but my weather is anything but benign. My weather is weather. And so somebody in New York will say, oh, it's gotten cold. It's like 30 degrees here. And I'd be like, ah, it's like minus 20 here. Nobody can compete. But the wonderful thing about being here is that everybody knows how to handle the weather. So I think there's a little way in which people talk about it and they're almost slightly fearful about it, especially in New York, because they're not sure what to do with the weather. They're not sure how to dress. They're not sure if the roads are going to be cleared or not. They're not sure what's going to happen, if they're going to be too cold, if they're, they're not going to be cold enough. But here, I know how to dress. I have just the right boots. I have the right snow pants. I've got a great jacket. I've got something around my neck a pair of goggles, a balakava, which I used to call baklava. I mean, baklava is like, you know, that Middle Eastern pastry with, you know, it's just so yummy with nuts and phyllo dough. But a balakava is actually like a hat that goes over your face and your neck and somehow leaves just a small space in your eyes. And I've been wearing that plus a hat and I'm good to go. And so when I walk out in my minus 20 degree weather, I'm actually okay which is very comforting because when I walked out in 30 degree weather in New York, I wasn't sure if I was gonna be comfortable or not. So I've really shifted my thinking and have become comfortable. So remember you can handle any weather. All you need to do is get some good clothing or get some good armor 
And that's what I'm equipping you with. You can handle anything related to your teenagers. Even though everybody will tell you teenagers are so hard, they're so selfish, they're so irresponsible, they are so not polite and they're rude. And I don't know why people say that. I think they've been saying that for generations. I'm not sure how many generations. Maybe previously teenagers might have helped around the household, like, you know, farming and whatever else, but they were responsible for things. Nowadays, teenagers don't have that amount of responsibility. Oh, that's a really interesting thought. Like, given the fact that we're not given a lot of responsibility, and we're also given not a lot of freedom in order to be independent in some way, we have to come up with this kind of made up independence for our teenagers. Like, had they cleaned their room? Are they coming home on time? Did they do the dishes or not? I mean, this is not real responsibility in a way. It's responsibility of sorts, but it's not a true addition to whatever's going on in the house, at least at this point. I know whenever I asked my kids to do something, it was more like this random thing that I kind of created in my mind about what they should do. It was nothing that was going to actually like make our lives go well, meaning it wasn't going to put food on the table or keep us warm in the middle of winter or, you know, sewing so that we have clothes. It was nothing like that. So we ask them to be responsible, but we don't give them often true responsibility. Now, sometimes people say that school is their job, but school it's an interesting job for them because some of them do well in it and some don't, some are interested and some aren't. So they're probably learning how to kind of keep something so incredibly down in a situation that might be good for them or might not. And that's what we're expecting their responsibility to be, that they should endure difficult, hard, kind of random situations with people that they definitely don't choose to be with. Huh. That's kind of an interesting rant that I'm thinking of. Anyway, so that was a thought that I had. So remember about your thought babies. The other thing is that I've been doing the high five habit. I spoke about it last week on the podcast. Mel Robbins wrote this book called the high five habit. And I've been high fiving myself in the mirror every morning. My daughter, Lily, and I have been doing that. And I'm looking at myself and being kind and talking about what I probably need today, whether it be to laugh more, whether it be to listen better, whether it be to go and have a little bit of fun, maybe even to dance around my living room. And then I'm high-fiving myself. And I notice that I'm not having that persistent negative speak that I normally have about myself when I'm in front of the mirror. So I'm not looking at myself and saying, oh, you look tired today, which sounds like so relaxed and really not bad or difficult or, you know, or, or mean spirited to myself at all. But there is this, this thing about where I'm almost saying that I'm not good enough, that whatever state I come in is not good enough, but I haven't been doing that. I haven't been looking and saying, oh my God, you have bags under your eyes oh my God, I see another wrinkle on top of your forehead or another one, you know, deepening of it in your cheek and your laugh line, whatever it is. I'm a 56-year-old woman. I have a 56-year-old face. And that 56-year-old face 
is just right. So for the last week, since I've been high-fiving myself, my 56-year-old face feels okay to me. And then I'm even passing mirrors at different points of the day and saying hello to myself and not even judging myself when I say hi. And so with that lack of judgment, I'm finding myself doing better things during the day. I'm eating better all of a sudden. I don't feel so incredibly hungry or lonely anymore. That's really fascinating. I never thought of that as a side effect. So there's this loneliness that I feel that makes me eat sometimes or makes me, maybe it's a restless loneliness and I'll almost eat anything. It's almost as if I can't stop myself, that I have no control. But over this past week, I do, that I find myself wanting to be kind to myself. I've been running down my hallway here. So I live in a two-story apartment building in Nome, and it's a fairly long hallway. And obviously, I'm not going outside in this winter storm because the snow drifts are about 20 feet. And I don't want to be in a snow drift over my head. But I've been running like outside of my apartment in the hallway doing suicides from one apartment door to the back to the next apartment door and back. I've never done suicides before. I don't even like calling them suicides. We will call them body enhancing laps or something like that. But I've been doing it. And I really think that it has a lot to do with me being incredibly kind to myself. Which brings up another thought. So we somehow truly believe that from a place of judgment, from a place of criticism, from a place of pushing ourselves and feeling like we have to be hard on ourselves, that we're going to do something. That if we didn't do it, we wouldn't do anything. And I think that's probably how we feel about our teenagers, that from a place of too much kindness, which a lot of people call spoiling, when you're too kind or too loving to your teenager. Now, I think some people think of spoiling as never saying no. And I definitely think that there's something about that, but the never saying no part is really about you not wanting to feel bad or you not wanting to deal with any emotions that come out of your teenagers when they don't get what they want. So it is a selfish act in some ways to say yes and then to decide that we're spoiling them. So we are going to learn how to put up boundaries, and I will definitely teach you that at some point. But when we decide that talking to our teenagers harshly and critically with lots of judgment, tons of expectations, and tons of ideas of what should be happening or should not be happening, then we might possibly get them to do what we think they should do or what they could do to make us feel better about whatever they're doing. And I realize that nothing good comes out of that kind of judgment, criticism, or harshness. Actually, if anything, it only creates anger. It creates disdain. It creates lack of confidence, feeling like you don't want to do anything. We also end up ignoring our parents. I remember I did. I knew the onslaught would come. And then I just had to shut it down until it was over. I wasn't listening. It only moved me a little bit out of fear, but it definitely did not help my relationship. But 
if we could approach whatever we need to approach with curiosity, with interest, with true excitement, with the desire to see everybody move forward, with some cooperation, without all the victimization, then maybe we could get our young people to do what we need them to do or want them to do, or maybe understand when they don't want to do it and not make it about us or not make it about the future them. So there's a couple of what I call power games. So you're getting out your superpowers now. And the two power games that I think are probably the most helpful for teenagers is the one about kind of imagining your teenager as the perfect child that they were. Now, you might have to go back a certain point because we do have feelings and thoughts about what our kids were like at age two. We call them terrible twos when they're toddlers, when they're finally going to school and digging their heels in, when they're preteens and now as teenagers. So you might even have to go to the essence of when they were just first born. And remember how good, how loving, how interested in being close they are, that the essence of them was just enough, that they didn't have to do anything in order to make things okay for us, that actually what they did, if they were older, we somehow would be pretty upset at, burping, farting, pissing, pooing, spitting out their food, whatever it is. So if we could play that imagine the child game, especially when they're not doing what it is that we expect them to do, then you might be able to soften something up at that point. And then afterwards, I want you to play the explorer game, the one where you explore everything that's going on with them so you know what they're thinking. And that we don't assume that we know why it is that they're not doing something. Usually we say it pretty easily. Oh, they're just lazy or they're just rude or they don't care about me or they're just selfish. And I hear so many of the lovely parents that I see say things like that. But we don't know if that's the case. Those are our thoughts and feelings. They probably have come in from places before us. And then we're dealing with whatever happens with the oppression of parents, meaning that we have to do this incredibly hard job. We have to do it for no pay at all, for very, very little support. And then everybody expects us to do it perfectly. And then if something happens with your young person that they don't like, they're blaming you. So this is a really hard job that we're doing. So if we can kind of evoke our superpowers of where we can see the pure and wonderful essence of our children and also explore deeply what's going on in their mind. Now, often we're going to hear what's going on in their mind and we're going to think it's not that important. We, and we might, we might know that it might not be important in the future, but at that moment, those things were very important. So I'm going to tell you a couple of tales from the parent side. And the reason why I'm going to tell you is that I have been so fortunate and so lucky to be able to take care of 
so many parents as a physician, as a parenting coach, as a thought leader, as a motivational speaker, all of it. And so I get to hear everybody's thoughts about what's going on with their kids. And I get to watch it as they come in because most of the parents will come in with their kids. And I saw this lovely mother and daughter and the daughter was 15 years old. And the daughter was saying that she really is glad that her brother is not home right now. It turns out that her brother actually left for high school to go someplace else because there was a program that they liked somewhere else. And now this 14 year old is an only child and home alone with her parents. And maybe the first time considering that she is a second child and her brother is older. And so she said, oh, so glad that he's not home. Things are so much better without him. And the mom, who is a wonderful mom, who is doing everything she can on behalf of this child said, no, you don't mean that. And I thought that was so interesting because I've heard many parents say that to their kids. I've had that said to me, and I've said that to my own children. And I'm wondering, well, wouldn't you want to explore what was going on there and why somebody would say that? Number one. Number two, telling her to not say that doesn't mean that the problem will go away. Now, some people think that if you are constantly talking about a thought or thinking about a thought, it's almost like you ingrain that thought into your mind and maybe it'll become a belief that's not really real. But I think when we shut the thought down, we're also paying attention to that thought. So then the thought is, you know, maybe I'm glad that my brother is not around anymore and my mother doesn't believe me. And then those thoughts get attached to each other. But I think telling somebody that they're not thinking that or don't believe that, it's just a really interesting way for us to somehow make the situation better in our mind. It's like telling somebody to stop crying. And I remember when I was younger, basically the, what was told to me was stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about. You know, but as if the stopping of it actually stops whatever the hurt is. And it's not true. I believe that the speaking of it and the crying of it and the whatever of it actually brings something to light enough where she will probably get over it pretty quickly. The other part is that she'd probably get over it really fast anyway. I mean, another subject will come up really quickly. She's a fantastic, wonderful young person with lots of interest and doing really well. And another subject would come up quickly, but then that little piece where you're not shut down wouldn't be there. So you get to say your piece and then you don't get all the humiliation and shame that comes with it. So what I suggest is to really play that game again. The second part of the game, the curiosity game, to find out what is underneath that particular thought that she has so bravely and willingly showed in the situation that we were in. And dig under. What's going on with that? What are you thinking about that? And you might find out that she's always felt like she never had their attention fully. And then there are so many things that you can do from there. I mean, if you read my book, Shut Up and Act Dumb, 
you know, you could do the special time for teens and pay very specific amounts of time to your teenager where you follow their lead and they get to show you how incredibly creative and brilliant they are. And then they also know that you will follow them and be with them even through hard things. And then through those hard things, they'll be able to show you their hard feelings. Nothing has gone wrong. So what you're doing is you're inviting somebody, especially a teenager whose feelings really don't get a lot of weight to share what's going on with them and digging deeper to find out the reason. Now, we might not want to know because we might not want to deal with that reason. So a couple of reasons why we would say, oh, you don't think that or you don't believe that is that, first of all, somebody might have said that to us. So that's what we're used to hearing. Second of all, there's probably a layer of guilt that we feel about taking the attention from one child or away from one child. And the other thing is that I think we're hopeful that it'll go away and that maybe we don't really want to hear what it is that's truly going on. But I promise you, when you can stay and do like my book, Shut Up and Act Dumb, the acting dumb part is just the part where you don't assume that you know everything, then you will get a lot of useful information. And that useful information will give you what you need to decide if you need to shift something or not. And I know that you guys are able to shift things. And most of what you're going to need to shift is your thoughts about it. And then once your thoughts shift, then everything else will, will shift with it. Your feelings, what actions you take, and definitely the result. So I had another parent story. Is it parent story from the dark side or tales of the parent side? Something like that. I just came up with that a couple of minutes ago. And I think I'm going to include that. Um, but I know this other mother who has a daughter who's 16 and her daughter has been going out lately without telling her parents, sneaking out in the middle of the night. Now, I know that's terrifying, and I know that's really scary. Now, the relationship between this mother and daughter has been hard. The mother is really stressed. She's very, very worried. She is doing the best that she possibly can. The daughter has her own struggles with feeling accepted, with feeling confident. She was also adopted. So I think that initial primal hurt is always there. And she has not been able to find her way to her mom and her mom has not been able to truly find her way to her daughter. And so her daughter snuck out the other day. And then when she came back, her mom got really mad, screaming, yelling, wanting to know where she was. Wanting to know in a very, very like, harsh and vehement way. Now, I don't blame her because it's scary. It's a scary thing to have your child go out and not know where they are. That's true. I would be worried. I might think the worst, although nowadays I, I'm able to decide what I think. You know, sometimes, and I know that my kids were out really late sometimes, is that I do believe that since I've been their parent for long, they do have some sense about what to do or that we will figure everything out or that we're all doing the best that we can. There are thoughts that I can actually think that when I check in with myself, make myself feel better. But I thought it was really interesting that the thought that she had was, I need to know where she is or where she was. And I'm wondering 
why she needed to know so badly where she was. Now, I remember when I was young, and if my mother said to me, where were you like that, I would definitely lie. Now, a lot of parents tell me, I don't care what they do as long as they don't lie to me. Now, I don't believe that's completely true because they do care what they do, because when they tell them what they do, the criticism and the judgment is there and it's harsh and it generally comes with some type of punishment. So I don't completely believe that. But I know that if I even had one shot out of a hundred or one chance out of a thousand to get over on that lie, I would try it. It was worth it to me because I know that if I didn't lie, the consequences would still not be good. So first of all, I don't think that her daughter would tell her the truth necessarily and didn't tell her because no matter what happened, I think the truth would probably not have been good enough. The other thing that I was thinking is that the daughter was probably scared. I mean, I think for somebody to feel like they had to leave and come back, there's a certain amount of fear. So the mom is scared and the daughter's scared. And when she comes back, she's probably afraid of how scared her mom is. That's true. And it might've been a good time to just say, I'm so glad you're okay. Even if there's gonna be a consequence. So I think it's really interesting because I give consequences and set boundaries without a lot of the emotion behind it. I don't set them when I'm really, really mad because then it usually turns into some kind of idle threat. I set them when I'm sitting down with my children and really trying to figure out what makes sense. And when I've worked on whatever I'm thinking and that I have some kind of ability to control and manage my mind, and then I can come up with a certain kind of consequence. The other thing that's really good is to really stay if you can and listen. So what happened with that conversation is that because the mom was so frightened, she needed a lot of information and she was taking up a lot of the space with the fear. Now, like I said, there is no judgment on my part. I just want you all to have the kind of life and the result you want. So you get to decide is the relationship I want, the relationship I have or not? And if it's not, then the thoughts are actually the only place where you could make some changes to figure it out. So then I might've asked, and again, I'm Monday morning quarterbacking, so I probably couldn't do it at the time, but I am sure that there will be many, many opportunities to get this one right again. And remember, any time you decide to do something different has already changed the future of your family. Any time that you decide that the buck stops with you, with whatever you don't repeat in the future that did not work for you, already has stopped the generational trauma. And your kids will notice. They always notice when that shifts. My kids will always say to me, what happened to you? Well, something's different. And the difference was, is that I could actually stay and listen for a moment. So it would be interesting to turn it around for her and say something like, 
wow, what was going on for you that you felt like you needed to leave? What feels so hard here that you felt like you had to go? Let's see if we could figure this out. And then you can come up with the solution that everybody can handle. One where things might not be so hard for her to stay and maybe be listened to a little more. And one where the mom would not be so worried and so scared and so upset and angry. I want your lives to go well. I want you to have a peaceful and wonderful relationship with your young people. That doesn't mean that you'll know everything. The other thing is that you have to decide why you needed to know where they are. Because often when we know, that doesn't make us feel any better. It just fuels whatever anger we have. It also kind of adds to what I call the confirmation bias. The bias where we are looking for evidence that things are messed up, that we are looking for evidence that the kids around our kids are screwing them up, that we're looking for evidence that they are making bad choices. So I have four things that I want you to do. Allow the past to be information. That's number one. So remember, the past is gone already. So to harp on it, to continue to repeat it over and over again, doesn't help to move anything forward. We might learn some things, but we usually learn it from a place of shame, humiliation, and difficulty, not as a gift that was given to us so that we can shift something. Then number two, allow things to come in and hear them. That is the shut up and act dumb method. Allow them to come in and hear them and know that you can handle any emotions that come in your direction. Number three, celebrate you and your family's achievements. Remember, if you point all your attention to the things that are hard and difficult, you will create more hard and difficult because your mind will keep going back to that particular thought. And then thoughts love to attach to other thoughts. And then they become beliefs and then that's it. They're stuck in there. They have a stronghold like you would not believe. And number four, recognize that this is a journey and you're on it and that the journey will have bumps in the road, and the journey will have some smooth sailing, and the journey will take different directions. But remember, you're on it. And if you're remembering that you're on a journey, then you can allow life to happen. And you can allow life to happen for you, as opposed to life happening against you. All right, so those are my four steps right now. Ah. I think I'm going to have to write a new something or other about the four steps. Um, it's allow the past to be information, allow things to come in and then hear them, celebrate you and your family's achievements, and recognize that this is just a journey. All right. I love you guys. Please, please, please subscribe to this podcast, rate and review and pass it on so that everybody can live this peaceful, connected life and avoid worrying and fighting. 
And then if you want to know more about how to do my method, buy my book, Shut Up and Act Dumb. It's on Amazon. But if you sign up for my course through these holidays, the Stop Worrying Bootcamp, you'll get 50% off with the promo code Stop Worrying, and you will get the automated online bootcamp that will explain everything to you. And my method is so complete. And it's not only just something to do, because I believe that you might be told to do things. I've been told a million times how to raise my kids, how to lose weight, and I'm still not doing it. But how to manage your mind and increase your mental fitness enough so that it will stick and you will change future generations for your family and for the world. So sign up for my Stop Worrying Bootcamp on drnikkinaradin.com. Use the promo code Stop Worrying and start now. There are so many extra bonuses for this. It, it is incredibly worth it. So incredibly priced for its value. And I want you guys to have the kind of life that I know that you can have and change the trajectory of everything. All right. I love you. And I will see you next week.